18 years ago, I got a frantic call from my first husband, Jason, that changed my life forever. At that time, Jason and I were only 22 years old. We lived back and forth at each other's parents' homes. It was a challenging time because we both were attending college, been married for 10 months, and had a one-year-old daughter. So when I got that phone call, we were in separate homes at that time. Has your heart ever felt like it dropped from a phone ring? Or you had a feeling that something wasn't right when the phone rang? Well, when I heard the phone ring on September 23rd, 2002, I didn't know I would hear my husband Jason's voice for the last time. As I spoke to Jason for the last time on September 23rd, 2002, I heard his voice in desperation, but I had heard it many times before. I would drop everything and run to him because he needed me to be by his side. It was either he didn't want to be alone or he had just ate a full bottle of aspirin. This time I didn't drop everything to run to him. Instead, I said patiently on the phone, Jason, I need to get the baby stuff together and I'm babysitting my brother Johnny. I'll come when I'm done getting ready. After I had finished, something in my gut had told me something wasn't right. I looked down the hallway to my brother Ray's room and asked if he wanted a ride to his friend's house who just lived on the way to Jason's parents' home. Normally I would not ask because of time. Time was crucial when Jason needed me. It was life and death. My brother Ray looked at me and hesitated to answer. He took a pause and said, yes, but I need to change my clothes. So I sat down on the couch as I waited patiently for my brother to finish. I picked up the phone so I could let Jason know that I was waiting for my brother, but I was on my way. As I sat there for 10 minutes, it felt like hours had gone by. It was like my spirit knew. I had a warm feeling come over me, and I was wondering, did he do it? So I picked up the phone to make sure Jason was okay. Jason's stepbrother answered the phone. I said, can you get Jason? Jason's brother went to his door and yelled, Jason! Misty's on the phone, but no answer. Again, no answer. So I said to Jason's brother, can you just let him know I'm on my way? A few minutes later, my brother Ray came down the stairs and we headed off to our destinations. I dropped off my brother a few blocks from Jason's parents' home. As I came around to the cul-de-sac, the fire truck and police were parked right in front. Jason's stepbrother and stepmother were standing on the curb crying. I put the car in park and jumped out of my car and I started screaming, what happened, what happened? But neither one of them could even speak. I went back to my car to get my daughter, my little brother Johnny. And it wasn't until I saw my sister-in-law that I had found out that Jason had killed himself. For about 15 minutes of waiting for someone to tell me what was going on, I thought he had just hurt himself. But that day, he took his life. Every day, 129 people die by suicide. Today, I tell my story in hopes that it would help at least one person choose to live or help someone who is dealing with a loved one who has to deal with it but doesn't really know how to deal with it. Have you ever dealt with a tragedy and then years look back and you could see all the red flags, the warning signs? Maybe you could possibly have prevented it or made some kind of change. 
I'm going to take you back to 1992 when I met Jason Martinez in the sixth grade. He was the most popular boy in junior high school in the little city of Fontana, California. 28 years ago, Fontana was a small city where most people knew everyone and everyone knew Jason Martinez. Jason had a smile on his face all day long. He brought joy everywhere he went. He was loved and liked by everyone who knew him. His personality was uplifting, his mannerism a delight, and his presence was always wanted. There wasn't a moment of sadness, disappointment, or anything that made it seem that Jason was ever unhappy. No one would have known he suffered from depression, nor did they know that he had tried numerous times to die. But looking back, I can remember that he missed school a lot. He would be consistent with attending classes, but then for a week he wouldn't be around. No one knew where Jason was, and when he returned, he came back with that same big smile like no time had passed. Jason never explained why he was gone. He acted like the cool guy and laughed about how he could come and go as he pleased, and no one questioned him because that's not what 13-year-olds talk about. Jason was the cool, happy guy that everyone adored, and we were just glad to see him back at school. I remember Jason was on the local city baseball team that all the people from Fontana would gather to watch baseball games all weekend long, and even sometimes weekdays. I can remember all the sunflower seeds on the ground, the smell of hot dogs, and of course, Jason making everyone laugh from the baseball field. He would moonwalk his way back to the bleachers. Jason was definitely a highlight to those baseball memories. When we entered high school, we had a class together, and Jason was the only student who was allowed to come in late with his Taco Bell bag with something super yummy that we all had to smell. His Charisma won the hearts of even the teachers. Over the years, Jason and I became best friends. He had many girlfriends, but looking back, I can recall he would get very depressed over a breakup. He would play sad music for weeks and miss school, which sounds normal when you think about a breakup, but not at the age of 13. Looking back, it seemed excessive. Looking back, I could see Jason's abandonment and rejection led to depression. But I can see it now because I'm outside looking into the story. While we are in the midst of the present, we can get caught up in life and that we don't take the time to listen and see the signs of someone's hurt. In these moments of hearing his grief, my heart became more soft to Jason. Between the ages of 16 and 17, Jason had missed so many school days that he was kicked out and had to attend a continuation education school. Even though we attended different schools, we stayed in contact. We talked every night for hours. We mostly talked about our broken homes. It was in these late night talks that Jason told me that his biological mother had abandoned him at the age of five. Jason expressed to me that he wanted to be with his mom, but she rejected him multiple times. He would go years without seeing his mom. I believe that this was the root cause of Jason's depression. But 
I'm no doctor, and so that's just my opinion. One week before my 18th birthday, Jason and I officially became boyfriend and girlfriend. We had so much fun together, whether it was going to the movie theater or driving an hour to the beach. It was exciting and it felt like he was my soulmate and we were creating a lifetime of happiness. But there was another side to cloud nine. No one knew, but between the ages of 18 and 20, Jason had tried killing himself more times than I can remember. I would beg him to live for me. I encouraged him to start college with me and I motivated him to keep living. It was a temporary fix. At the age of 20, I gave birth to Angel Faith Martinez and one year later, Jason and I married. Between the two years of giving birth to our daughter leading up to Jason's death, Jason got involved with the wrong friends. They were 10 years older than him and not a good influence which led Jason to being stabbed at a nightclub. That was another frantic call I received that I'll never forget. He almost died from the multiple stabbings he received on his face and chest. I really thought the situation would make him want to live, but I saw him become more depressed. Months passed by when I saw the gun for the first time. Again, months went by. Jason began to lock himself in his room. At this time, I was attending college and taking care of our baby, and Jason fell more into a depression. No one asked questions. It seemed as though everyone was afraid to ask because then it would become real. And then what? 18 years ago, suicide was less talked about than it is today, and it still holds a stigma upon it. Asking questions doesn't make the person want to do it. Asking questions is said to give relief to the suicidal person. It makes the person feel like we care. If we keep hiding the situation under the rug until the dirt just piles up, one day you're gonna see a hill of dirt. The truth always comes out. Asking someone if they feel suicidal is the first step for caring for the hurting person. Just a side note, The tone you use when asking is very important to helping the suicidal person to feel comfortable enough to open up to you. If you want to learn how to deal with a person with suicidal thoughts, Hope Gatekeepers offers training so you can become aware and help someone in need. Reach out to Hope Gatekeepers today and be part of the Ask and Prevent campaign. Losing Jason was the hardest situation I've ever dealt with. Let's not lose another person to the most preventable death in the world, suicide. Let us become the voices for the brokenhearted and end suicide now. If there's one thing that I wish I would have done, I wish I would have asked Jason questions. I wish we would have put him in therapy, asked for help, professional help, reached out wherever we could. And I think that's where it must start. We must start asking questions and taking step by step because the brokenhearted, they need you and I to be the voice for them to get help. So let's do this together. To learn more, visit us at www.hopegatekeepers.com.